I'm going to be reading Matthew 22 from 23 to 33. Let's read together. Uh, at that same day, of uh, the Sadducees who say there, uh, say there is no resurrection came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brothers must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died. Since, and since he had no children, he let his wife to his, left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Uh, now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be on the seventh, of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures of the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But, um, uh, but about the resurrection of the dead, you have not read what God said to you. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowd heard this, they were astonished at his teachings. Hey, everyone. I hope you're enjoying getting together in watch parties. I noticed that the host didn't give me any of their chocolate. But anyway, before I begin, I wanted to tell you a couple of things uh, about staffing for next year. Uh, you might know that as a church, we've actually been down a couple of staff members for the last little while. Uh, so Pete Witt, our mag pastor who'd been with us for 10 years or so, uh, stepped down. Uh, and also Josh Matthews, who'd been looking after all nations for a while, uh, also stepped down. And the lovely thing about both those guys is they're actually still with us here in church. They, we loved having them on our staff team. It would have been really tragic to lose them from our church, but we love having them still with us. Um, but we've now been able to replace both of those positions. And so going into next year, um, we couldn't replace Pete with just one person, but we have uh, Zach Metcalf and Dan Kirk both working in magnification. So Dan has lots and lots of skills uh, in music and in production and all the very maggy kind of stuff. Zach has got lots of skills when it comes to vision and team building. And so they're going to be sharing that role while they both do theological study. And I'm really excited to tell you that Stu Harrison has taken the job of looking after our All Nations crew. Uh, Stu, has Stu and Iz together have loads of experience uh, in overseas mission, in ministry. They've been at our church for a long time and we're absolutely thrilled that they're going to be taking on this role. So that's something that's really exciting. I'm going to quickly pray for both, all of those guys. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray for these guys as they fill really important positions in our church. We thank you so much for Pete and Josh and their families and the way that they've served in the past and that they're still with us and that we still get to love them. Uh, and we pray for uh, these new guys as they come in. We pray that you would, uh, that the ministries would flourish under them. Uh, we pray that they would serve Jesus and that he would be honoured through what they do. Amen. You know, the most important human being who ever lived never had sex. Jesus, the most perfect, the most mature, the most complete human being who ever lived never had sex. Now that tells you something, doesn't it? See, we live in a world that's absolutely filled with sex and with really contradictory ideas about sex. So in our world, sex is everything and it's also nothing. So sex is everything. 
Because unless you're having lots of sex with lots of different people, then that kind of means that your wife, your life is worthless. You've got a second-rate life because you're missing out on the single most important best bit of life. And so if you're not having lots of sex, then you're incomplete as a person. You're unfulfilled. So have you ever come across that movie, The 40-Year-Old Virgin? It's a little old now, but it's, it's about a guy who reaches the age of 40 and he's never had sex. And, and just have a look how his character is described. Andy Stitzer is a shy 40-year-old introvert who works as a stock supervisor at an electronics store, Smart Tech. He gave up trying to have sex after various failed attempts and lives alone in an apartment with a collection of action figures and video games. Everything about that guy just screams loser, doesn't it? His name, his dead-end job, the fact that he lives alone in an apartment with a collection of action figures, all that's missing is the indoor plants for this guy to be a complete loser. Because only a loser doesn't have sex. Because sex is everything, right? And yet at the same time, sex is nothing. Because the, the act itself, well, that doesn't mean anything at all, does it? I mean, I can go out and sleep with someone. I can get drunk, hook up, spend the night together. And in the morning, we go our separate ways because the act doesn't mean anything, does it? It was just sex. And so another movie that came out around about the same time was a movie called Friends with Benefits. And it's about two people who are friends and they also happen to sleep together. And the sex isn't meant to mean anything. It's just convenient while they're both single. Because sex is nothing. You see, in our world, sex is everything and nothing at the same time. Which leaves lots of us confused, doesn't it? Especially if we're at a point in life where we're not able to have sex. What if I'm single? What if I'm ill or depressed or my spouse is... What if I've re just reached an age where sex is no longer possible for me? Does that mean that I am missing out on the very best part of my life? Is my life not worth living? Am I incomplete? Was Jesus incomplete? Well, look, today we're going to dig into the idea of sex, and we're certainly not going to cover everything about sex. The host did a great job, didn't they, of showing us just the breadth of this topic. We're not going to look at everything in sex. We actually did that recently at our mid-year conference. And if you'd like to get a hold of the talks, we're very careful about releasing them because they're the sort of thing that would create controversy. But if you'd like to get hold of those talks and you're willing to jump through a few hoops, get in touch with us and we might be able to put you, uh, give them to you. We're just going to look this morning at how sex fits with our humanity, what it means to be human and have sex. This whole series is called Being Human, and we're going to look at a bunch of issues. We're looking at sex and children and emotions and birth and death and how all those things fit with our humanity. And last week really was the foundation of the series. Last week, we looked at being human in the image of God. And if you haven't had a chance to watch it yet, it really was the foundation of this whole series. We saw that being human means we are like God. We're like God because we rule and also because we're relational. And God rules and God is relational. But we saw that it was more than just ruling and relating. God rules and relates in love. 
God's a loving ruler and relater and we're meant to be like him. And so being in the image of God means that we rule the world in love and we relate to each other in love like our God. And what we saw was Jesus is the perfect human being. Jesus isn't just in the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. He is God in the flesh. And we saw that Jesus rescues humanity by his death. And if you are a Christian, Jesus is now remaking you in his image. You're now meant to reflect him and be like him. So that's what we saw last week, humanity in the image of God. And all of that really helps us to get to, uh, to get to grips with this idea of sex. Because here is the absolute key thing to understand about sex. Are you ready for this? Sex is not an end in itself. Sex is not an end in itself. Now, sex actually serves something else. It serves and helps us being in the image of God. Sex is designed to help us to live in the image of God. It helps us to rule and it helps us to relate in love. And it's absolutely crucial that we get this. Sex is not an end in itself. Sex is there to help us to rule and to relate in love like God does. So let's dig into this for a second. Sex actually helps us rule the world, doesn't it? Because look what God says to Adam and Eve in Genesis. He says, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. You see, sex is designed to help Adam and Eve rule the world because their job is to increase in number and to fill the earth and subdue it. And that can only happen through sex. You see, in Genesis, sex isn't an end in itself. It helps us to rule in the image of God. And it also helps us to relate. Remember, Adam and Eve were in God's image because they were male and female. So just like God is one God in three persons, we are one humanity in two sexes. And again, sex really helps us to express this. So in Genesis chapter 2, Eve is created from Adam's side. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You see, Adam and Eve are both separate. They're man and woman, but they're also the same flesh. And verse 25 is wonderfully suggestive, isn't it? Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. There's something beautiful. There's something wonderful about a husband and wife having sex. It actually helps them to reflect God. Two separate people come together and they become one physically and emotionally and spiritually. And the more often they do it, the closer they become, the tighter their bond is. That's why Paul tells couples not to deprive each other in 1 Corinthians 7, because the more often they have sex, the more tightly they're bound emotionally and spiritually, the less room there is for Satan to come between them. You see, again, sex is not so much 
an end in itself. It's the servant of our image. It helps us to rule like God. It helps us to relate in the image of God. And it also helps us to love like God. See, look how Paul describes sex in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who don't know God, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. See, sex is actually meant to be one of the ways that we love each other. We don't take advantage of each other. We don't wrong each other. That's not being like God. And in fact, one of the beautiful things about marriage that's even reflected in our marriage services, marriage is when we give our bodies to the other person. This body of mine is not mine anymore. It belongs to you now. And so I'll make it like you want it and I'll use it for your pleasure. That's why Paul says we learn to control ourselves when it comes to sex. We want to behave in a way that's loving. It's funny, the world pictures sex as being out of control, doesn't it? In the world's picture of sex, we're overcome by animal passion. We're overcome by desire and we give into it. Sex in the world's eyes is a master, but not in God's eyes. Sex is not meant to be my master. It's meant to be my servant to help me look like God. Christian sex is self-controlled. Now, when I realize all of this about sex, it helps me to cut through a lot of the confusion in the world. You see, the world says sex is everything and nothing at all. God says sex is not an end in itself, but it serves something that's fundamental to us, being in the image of God. Now, that means that we can say sex is important and it's really good because of what it serves. It serves something so important and good. When a couple have sex, they reflect the magnificent trinity. And when it's actually in love, it makes us like the loving God. And when it results in a child, it's magnificent because it helps us to rule the world God's given us. You see, sex is important and good. It's fantastic. Not so much because of the act itself but because it serves the most important thing about us. This helps us to see why we have this inbuilt drive towards having sex. It helps us to see why sex is so important to us. It helps us to see why we have such high expectations and hopes and desires. It helps us to see why we think about it and why we talk about it and why we daydream about it. Because even though it isn't an end in itself, it's linked to something so foundational to who we are. It's linked to our glory. It's linked to our identity. It's linked to our being rulers and relators in the image of God. You can see why Christians would want to say sex is really great. And you can can also see why God says sex is so much less important than the world says it is. Because it's not an end in itself. And in fact, I am still in the image of God, even if I never have sex, right? 
I still have the reality of being in the image of God. I still rule the world, even if I never have sex, right? Because I'm still part of humanity. And I still have relationships. I'm still male or female. And I can still love other people, even if I never have sex. You see, when we understand that sex is the servant of the image of God and not an end in itself... Well, that helps us to value sex and understand why it's so important to us and to rejoice in it and be thankful for it. But at the same time, not to worship it. I am still in the image of God, even if I never have sex. You see, sex is so much more important than the world realises and so much less important than the world realises. And so is it any wonder that sex is actually one of the most broken things in our world, isn't it? Sex in our world is deeply, deeply broken. And I think it's because we have severed sex from the thing it's meant to serve. When you think about it, sex in our world has been severed from both rule and relationship and certainly from love. The world turns sexes into an end in itself. And so for the world, for us in our modern world, sex and ruling the world by having children, those two ideas are only very slightly connected in our minds, aren't they? Because of things like birth control. Now, I want to say I don't think birth control is a bad thing. I certainly don't think it's a sinful thing. But one of the effects of birth control over the last 60 years is we have disconnected sex from one of its absolutely key purposes, to have children. God created sex so that we could fill the world and we could rule it. It's part of sex's glory. And we have lost that, which has actually made it much easier for us to reduce sex from being about ruling the world to being about entertainment. Sex has become a plaything for us. And in fact, we almost see children as the cost of sex, don't we? Children are something that I want to put off until I'm ready for them. Children are are an inconvenience. In fact, something even to be aborted. We've lost part of the glory of sex because we have divorced it from one of its key purposes, filling and ruling the world like God. But we've also divorced severed sex from relationship. Because in our world, well, sex and relationship aren't seen as strongly tied together anymore, are they? Sex can actually be a casual connection between people, things like friends with benefits, one night stands, casual sex, hooking up or, or pornography. All of those things sever sex from relationship. I don't have a relationship with a person on the screen. I don't have an ongoing relationship with a hookup. I just have sex and the sex just becomes an end in itself it's just a plaything is it any wonder that sex in our world is so unsatisfying for most people it was never meant to be an end in itself it was meant to strengthen relationship and we haven't just severed sex from rule and relationship we've also severed it from love it's interesting isn't it that the word the world uses most about sex is Satisfaction. Was it satisfying? 
did it please? Which means that it's all about us. What did Paul say in 1 Thessalonians? He said people act in passionate lust and they take advantage of each other. That's what sex in our world has become, isn't it? I use sex for my satisfaction, for my pleasure. I use sex to help me to feel good about myself. I use sex to convince myself that I'm winning at life and that I'm worthwhile. I use sex to climb the social ladder. I use sex to get control over another person. I use sex to get what I want. I use sex. But really what I'm using is another human being. So much of the pain that's caused by sex in our world is simply because one person is using another. And so where we end up is a little bit like us as humans, sex has become a pale shadow of itself. Remember that quote from last week about us being in the image of God? That after his revolt, mankind is but a grisly shadow of himself. A contradictory image. One might even say a caricature, a witness against himself. That's not just true of God's image, is it? No, it must also be true of sex, right? Sex in our world is just a grisly shadow of what it was meant to be. A contradictory image. A caricature. An end in itself instead of the servant of the beautiful and important things of us being in the image of God. Until we reach this incredible irony of Jesus, the man who never had sex and yet is its greatest rescuer. Jesus, the 33-year-old virgin. And the world would say that Jesus is the ultimate loser, right? Jesus is inexperienced. Jesus is unfulfilled. He probably collected action figures. And yet now, now that we've got the creation background of sex, we're actually in a position to understand Jesus so much better, aren't we? Because even though Jesus never had sex, he perfectly embodied the reality that sex was just meant to serve, didn't he? So Jesus didn't need to have sex to rule the world. Jesus ruled it as God. Jesus ruled the wind and the waves and sickness and demons and death. And Jesus didn't need to have sex to create children. Because we are the children of God, aren't we? In Galatians, Paul says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has also made you an heir. You see, Jesus, without ever having sex, created an entire race of children for God. Because he died for us. He was born under law and he died under law to pay for our sins, every last one of them. And then he has given us his spirit, the spirit of sonship, which makes us children just like him and not just children, but also heirs. You see, Jesus has created millions upon millions, billions of children for God. 
without ever having had sex. And in the new creation, we will rule with Jesus. You see, Jesus fulfilled the rule function of sex, of sex without ever having had it. And in fact, Jesus fulfilled the loving, husbandly love part without ever having sex too, didn't he? In Ephesians 5, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You see, Jesus had a bride. It was us, his church. But Jesus didn't need to have sex with his bride to love her. No, Jesus loved us by dying for us, by giving himself for us on the cross, by cleansing us with his word of forgiveness so that we could be radiant and pure. Jesus didn't need to have sex with his bride because Jesus' death is everything that sex was ever meant to be. It was an act of love that binds husband and wife together forever. You see, the most perfect human being who ever lived never once had sex. Jesus never had sex and yet was the perfect husband. Jesus never had sex and yet created a family of billions of children. He never had sex and yet the children he created will rule the next creation for eternity. And if you're a Christian, you are Jesus' bride and you are God's child and you are part of God's family and you have been taught how to love and you will rule the next creation regardless of whether or not you ever have sex. And in fact, in the new creation, you won't have sex. Did you notice that from our reading earlier? In heaven, we won't be given in marriage because we will already have everything that sex was designed to serve. We will already rule. We will already relate in perfect love. Sex will have achieved its purpose here in the first creation. You see, God gives us so much healthier a view of sex than the world does, doesn't he? It's meant to be the servant of our humanity, not the measure of our humanity. And so as we finish, let me, let me give you four thoughts, four very quick thoughts about living as a Christian in a world of murky, misunderstood sex. Firstly, when it comes to sex, Christians will rejoice and grieve and hurt along with the rest of the fallen world. We'll do all of those things. We'll rejoice because sex is still good. Religions like Roman Catholicism, which degrade and dishonor sex, are just plain wrong. Married sex is a beautiful expression of love. And if you happen to be married, enjoy it. God says to honor the marriage bed in Hebrews. And it's so wonderful when children are born, isn't it? That's why we celebrate so much when children are born, because it's part of that creation idea of ruling the world. And it's why we mourn so deeply with those who can't. It's why we grieve. 
You see, Christians still believe in the goodness of sex because we're still in God's image and sex still serves that in some ways. But we will also grieve outside the garden, won't we? Because in so much of this world, sex is severed from its true purposes. And so we're going to grieve because the very best part of sex, that it helps us to look like God, just gets ignored by the world. God doesn't get thanked for it. God doesn't get worshipped in it. God doesn't get obeyed in it. God isn't reflected in love and sacrifice and commitment and self-control. Now, sex in the world reflects the animals, not God. The animals who act in lust and desire. And Christians should see that as a tragedy. And we should see the tragedy that, of the pain we inflict on each other, the way people are used. Sex is always going to be bittersweet in this world. We will grieve and hurt even as we rejoice. But the second thing that we should know is that not all is lost, even if we never have sex. Because we have fullness in Christ, not in sex. Jesus is the ultimate human being who never had sex and still ruled and loved. And that helps me to see that sex is not the measure of my life, the measure of my success, the measure of my happiness. Jesus is. I will not be married to Emma in eternity. I won't be having sex in eternity. Sex is not what makes me human. It's not what, it's not what makes me worthwhile. Jesus is. That helps me to be okay, even if sex is not what I hope it might be here on earth. Sex can fall short in loads of ways here on earth, can't it? I can miss the opportunity to ever have sex because of singleness, not a choice that I make, but I remain single. But in fact, people often miss out on sex within marriage too, don't they? It can be through illness, it can be through depression, it can be through conflict. It can be through sexual dysfunction. It can be through different appetites or age. My experience is that almost everyone, in fact, everyone in this world has to cope with sex not being the ideal that they hoped it would be. But the world has no way of coping with that. Because to them, sex is everything. Sex is the measure of my humanity, but not for Christians. I can say, no, I know that Jesus is the measure of my humanity. I am loved by Christ. I am cherished in Christ. I am married to Christ. I have a family in Christ. Jesus has already done the very thing that sex was designed to do, he gave himself for me. Now look, that doesn't take the pain away. It doesn't suddenly make everything fine. And it doesn't mean that we don't try and change things. But it does mean that my life does not hang on this. It does mean that my happiness and my satisfaction does not hang on this. And the third thing is, it doesn't mean that I become disobedient to Christ in order to fix things. See, the world says sex is worth doing anything to get, doesn't it? 
you're not having and getting enough sex from your spouse, go and have an affair. Visit a prostitute. Use pornography. Leave. Find someone who'll give you the sex that you're after because sex is so important. If you're not getting enough sex because you're single, then have a fling. Use porn. Find a non-Christian because sex is so important in our world's eyes. Everything gives way before it. Do whatever you have to do to get sex because that's what life's all about. But Christians worship Christ, not sex. He's my fulfillment. He's the measure of my life. And so Christians believe in two very, very unfashionable words. We believe in self-control and we believe in purity. So remember 1 Thessalonians? Paul said, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable. The world says sex is an uncontrolled act of animal hunger. Christians learn to control our bodies. In Galatians 5, self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. The world says everything gives way before the almighty need for sex. Christians say sex gives way before the almighty Lord Jesus Christ If my desires are not being met, I will still worship Jesus in self-control. If I am single, I will still worship Jesus in self-control. Even if sex is off the cards for decades, I will still worship Jesus in the self-control that the Holy Spirit gives me. And so I'll be pure. Purity is the other great mark of Christian sex. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's coming, your minds may have been led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You see, twice Paul calls us pure. And it's funny, in in the world's eyes, purity is equated with never having sex. But in Hebrews 13, the marriage, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. You see, purity doesn't mean never having sex. It means self-control. It means obedience. For the married person, it means we honor our marriage. We keep our vows. We avoid sexual immorality and adultery. For the single person, it means we still have desires. We still have urges That is, being single isn't the absence of desire and being pure isn't the absence of the desire. It's that we don't act on them. The pure self-controlled response is, in self-control, I will obey God. Because we worship Jesus, not sex. But the fourth thing we do is we long for the future. You know, I realized something this week. In heaven... I won't miss sex. I won't have sex because everything about sex here on earth will have been fulfilled. We won't need it to rule anymore. We'll be married to Jesus without it. But we won't miss it. And we won't grieve the way sex may have let us down. Because as good and important as sex is, the fulfillment is going to be even better. 
that helps me to think, imagine how good heaven is going to be. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of our sexuality. We thank you that it's not an end in itself, but that it serves our being in your image. We thank you that by it we populate the world that we might rule it. We thank you that by it we reflect you in relating husbands and wives coming together. We thank you that in it we can love one person giving themselves to another. And we're sorry for what we've done to it. We're sorry that we have severed sex from its purpose and turned it into a plaything. And so we thank you for Jesus, who never had sex, not because sex is bad, but because he fulfilled its greatest purpose. We thank you that Jesus ruled and has created a a race of children for you without ever having sex. We thank you that he loved a love in absolute self-sacrifice and commitment by dying on the cross. And we thank you that in the next world, we will join him in those things, not having sex ourselves, but ruling and relating in perfect love. Father, we pray that this helps us to both rejoice in sex here and also to cope with it in a broken world. We pray that we'll have a great thankfulness to you in it. And Father, we pray that we won't disobey you in order to get sex. We pray that we'll worship you more than sex. We pray that we might be self-controlled and pure. Father, we pray for those brothers and sisters among us for whom sex has been a really painful, difficult, emotional issue. We pray that you might be our comfort that you might give us self-control and purity. And we pray that as a church we would do well at loving each other in this area. Amen.